You're listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, hey, you might this, you might, I can't even get the first four words of the show right. Uh, you might find this hard to believe, and I find it really hard to believe, but we are actually getting quite close to the first day of spring. I know it seems like, and I think on record, this is one of the coldest winters we've had in Toronto. We, we've had uh, many, many days of really bitterly cold weather. And I was actually on uh, Jerry Agar's show on Friday morning, and Jerry actually spent, I don't know if he's, I don't think he's from, Man- he might be from Manitoba or he spent a few years in Manitoba. Uh, I did as well. And we said that uh, this is Manitoba cold. Toronto is as cold as we remember Manitoba to be. But so I'm trying to give you the silver lining, which is that spring is only four weeks away. So if there's something to look forward to, it is uh, Friday, March 20th, just four more weeks. That doesn't mean that suddenly it's going to be 20 degrees outside, but we can keep our fingers crossed. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have been to a travel clinic before. Elliot, ever? What is a travel clinic? I don't... Oh, you don't... Okay, so I only uh, heard about a travel clinic, uh, well, maybe it was like a decade or so ago when I was traveling internationally for the first time. So they are typically privately run clinics because if you go away somewhere, you know, there's sometimes there's vaccinations or there's medications that you should bring or certain risks you should know of depending on the country that you're going to because we may not typically be vaccinated for whatever is common over there. So, uh, so there are quite a few, there are a couple of travel clinics in the city and um, I, this is sort of random, but I am 99% going to be in Namibia in a week on an African safari. So it all oh. happened very last minute. And I thought, you know what, there's the probably certain precautions I should take, but you know what travel clinics are um, the patients that are in there. Like you'll see, just regular couples who maybe are going on a cruise and because they're stopping off at different countries, they'll go in there to see what they might need. Even just common things like you see that commercial all the time for like Ducarol, travel, avoid traveler's diarrhea. It can be very common because of the water that you're having in a very, um, you know, very common sort of country and uh, or city. It doesn't have to be some like third world country where you have risks. Um, so anyway, because of this trip to Africa, I decided to go to a travel clinic just to see if I, I needed anything specific. Uh, I did. They did suggest that I get malaria pills, so I have that. They're very expensive malaria pills, but probably less expensive than getting malaria. Um, so I walk into the clinic. It's on Queen Street East, and as soon as you walk in, the receptionist the counter is there, and there's a, there's a man ahead of me. So I walk in, and she looks up at me, she points to me and she says to the man, is this your wife? And I look at the man. He's like 80 years old. And he does like he does. He barely flinches. He kind of turns and looks at me at the, out of the corner of his eye. And he goes, no. And I my first no was like shock. Like, why would you why would you suggest why would you assume when I walked in that I could possibly be this man's wife, this 80 year old man? And so my first no was like, no. And then my second no was angry. No. <laughs> like, come on. That's unfair. And then about 10 seconds later, his actual wife walked in. She was closer to his age. Uh, so I don't know how many of you actually know what vaccinations you've had in recent years. I had 
no clue. And this is something I realized I, I should know about. I, you know, the, the doctor in there was like, when's the last time you had your shots for measles, mumps, and rubella? I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, have you ever had typhoid? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. There were just so many things I, I didn't know. And thankfully, I was able to call my family doctor, and they were able to tell me what I had and, and, and didn't have. Um, so I have a prescription for malaria pills, just in case because of the safari region, there could be mosquitoes. The other prescription they gave me was for uh, traveler's diarrhea. And this is not a topic I know that most people find comfortable to speak about. But when you are in another country and you do not have access to your own bathroom and your own bed and your own comforts, I will do anything to not have diarrhea because especially when you're on a safari you're in a you're on a group trip right you, and so anyway I look at the um the pamphlet that comes with it and it has a few side effects listed one of the side effects of the diarrhea medication is diarrhea oh no so tell me how that so you you could take the medication and not know if it's working or if it isn't working because possibly you have the same symptoms it's a dilemma anyway good job drug manufacturing companies. Uh, also, I had Elliot, I had to get a measles shot because he said, you know, measles is spreading in a lot of other countries. So that was another one. Obviously, yeah. I'm all for vaccinations. I got three shots in my arm that afternoon. Don't, um, do not eat the raw warthog intestine like uh, Anthony Bourdain did. I believe he got very <sighs> ill from that. I think that was Namibia. I can't remember. It's too bad because that was very high on my list of things I wanted to eat. I could tell. I knew you I knew you wanted to try that and I just wanted to advise against it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Minardi. Mm -hmm. um, it also takes two days and two nights of travel to get to Namibia. So if any uh, anyone listening has tips for fighting jet lag, I would really welcome them and appreciate them. You can always text me during the show at 71010. Uh, because basically, as soon as I land, they want to start taking us on the safari tour. And part of me just wants to say, can we? Can I just go into a room with a shower and a bed and maybe just have a few quiet hours? But it's like full-blown full itinerary the minute that we land. And it's two back-to-back -back red eyes. And I'm not a great traveler. I will say I, um, my extended family is in Taiwan. My mom actually just arrived there today. She was supposed to be there for Chinese New Year. But they had so much snow out in Halifax that her original flight was canceled. And part of the reason... I have not been to Taiwan in so many years uh, is because the trip is so hard for me. It is so much flying, so much time sitting upright in economy um, that I, I kind of avoid it. So this is this is going to be interesting. So if you have tips for fighting jet lag, let me know. Text me at 71010. You can always tweet me as well. I always love to know if anyone listening is on Twitter at Pei Chen. Coming up on the show, a new app that lets you lock yourself out of your phone. You're probably thinking, why on earth would I ever want to do that? Well, because maybe you're going out for dinner, you're on a date, maybe you have to study for something and you just want to make sure you're not easily distracted. This app, however, also lets you lock the phones of other people. So maybe your kids, when you want them to be doing homework, maybe your easily distracted partner. So I'll tell you about the local creators of something called Flipped app, which is great because it's a couple of young uh, Torontonians who started this. And does the name Vivian Mayer ring a bell at all to anyone? 
by most accounts, she's just a very regular, unassuming person. Not many people knew her. She um, moved from Europe to New York and then Chicago in the 50s. She spent most of her life as a nanny with very few close friends and and no children of her own. So some people describe her as a Mary Poppins. She moved around the U.S. taking care of people's families and indulging her passion for photography. Well, around the time that she passed away, the contents of a storage locker that she hadn't kept up with payments for, they were auctioned off. Inside were over 100,000 negatives and rolls of unprocessed film. Now, what was on these rolls of film caught the attention of people around the world. Here was a woman who spent her life just taking care of other people's kids. No one knew who she was until they found this locker full of photos. So I'll talk to someone from a local gallery that currently has uh, some of Vivian's work and we'll tell you how you can see it, maybe even buy it. And uh, there's something else I want to talk about tonight that I put up on Facebook and Twitter. And so far, people do not like this idea. How much do you spend on your kids' birthday parties? I'd like to know. Text me, 71010. I haven't been to a kids' party since I was a kid. So I have no idea how much they might cost right now. I assume most of you spend what you can afford. I'm not sure if you've noticed, perhaps, that birthday parties are getting a little bit out of control. People are feeling competitive. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Well, there is a growing trend And that trend is parents crowdfunding to pay for their kids' parties. Basically, a parent who wants to throw their kid a more extravagant party than they can afford goes online, signs up for a crowdfunding account, asks people to donate money so that they can throw their kid a really wonderful bash. How do you feel about this? Text me, 71010. Do you like the idea of asking people to donate so you can throw a bigger and better party than you can comfortably afford? It's a great idea, right? Then we can all have giant, fabulous parties. Uh, So that's coming up on the show as well. Again, you can text me, 71010. Let me know your thoughts. Um, Right now, it's 8.15. We're going to take a quick break. is the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I am welcoming all of your texts for fighting jet lag, 71010, because it can be hard to adjust, especially when you have a full schedule the second that you land. Um, So thanks to people who've been uh, texting in and letting me know how they combat jet lag. How would you like the ability to lock yourself out of your own phone or device, or better yet, I think this is better, the ability to lock a distracted partner or even your kids out of their phones to get them to focus on what's in front of them, whether it's homework or, you know, family dinner, um, a romantic date, whatever it might be. Well, I've got Alana Harvey on the line. She's a co-founder of Flipped App. Hi, Alana. Hi, Pei. So I know that you just launched uh, the most updated version on Friday, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we so, launched on Friday. All right. So uh, what is Flipped App? So very basically, Flipped is an app that lets you lock yourself out of your phone um, for a set amount of time. So you set yourself up on a timer, and then you're essentially locked. You're in, a, you're, you're in this lock screen that you can't get out of. 
And um, a couple of features allow the phone to still be used. So Mm -hmm. you can make emergency phone calls, you can accept incoming calls, and you can also set up auto-response text to let people know that you're busy. Okay, so they don't think you're ignoring them if you've set it for like a six-hour period. Exactly. And it lets you continue doing whatever it is that you're on task to do. So whether it's studying or you're at work or, you know, you just want to have some time to yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, you just flip off and then you don't have to be distracted by your phone. So I guess my first question is why not just shut off your phone then? Why have an app? Well, that's, that's obviously what everybody asks they think mm-hmm. oh this this is this is ironic why would we do something like this but i think what it comes down to is that we're letting ourselves get distracted and we're we're very anxious and so when when we get a text or we get a notification or you know we we see something interesting online or on social media we end up checking it just because we're compelled to it's you know it's it's in our brains we feel like we need to check it and then we feel good about doing that and we continue to check and you know an hour later you're (laughs) you're a couple weeks deep in your instagram feed and you've wasted an hour and so of course you could just turn your phone off or you could go into airplane mode for example Mm -hmm. but this instead it it forces you to to focus and it forces you to stay um on task or present the people you're with because it actually your phone is suddenly locked like you've just instead of just I I can turn my phone off but I can also turn it back on you know 30 seconds later when I change my mind um now is there like is there a way to abort the mission like let's say I I set it for uh six hours and then I think oh god oh no I regret that (laughs) I, I I only wanted to to be locked for two hours is there a way to change it uh no actually and that's that's what makes us um pretty pretty awesome and pretty effective because (laughs) (laughs) if if that was the case then then i don't think it would be effective if you could just Mm -hmm. support mission like you're saying then it really would be no different from just turning your phone off so you know we tell people try it for the first half hour Mm -hmm. see how you feel and when we actually started um we created it so that it would be a maximum four-hour lock because we were like, no one's going to want to lock themselves up for more than that time. But people who were testing the app were like, I want to be able to lock myself for seven hours, eight hours. And we were like, okay. Was that while they slept or was that actually during the day? That's a long time. Yeah, well, a lot of people my age, actually, they'll use it while they're at work, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, especially with millennials, um, you know, we're so we're so used to having our phones on us 24-7, and then you step on, on the job, and, and your boss is like, you can't check your phone. You can't have it on you. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of helps, helps them uh, get into the habit of not checking their phones. Now, who did you design Flipped for in the beginning? Like, when you thought, okay, we're going to design an app that lets people lock their phones. Or, you know, and I, think, and I want to talk about the fact that perhaps you can lock the phone of your kids or your yeah. distracted spouse or partner as well. I, I suppose they have to agree to this in the beginning, but yeah. you just randomly lock your boyfriend's phone when he's out. Um, so yeah. when you first came up with the idea, who were you thinking of? Like, who was this for? Yeah, so one of our co-founders, he gave his little brother, his 13-year-old brother, his first um, smartphone, or it was, it was an iPod touch. And we saw this, you know, very sociable, fun, music loving, sports loving kid who always, you know, whenever his brother came over, he was like, always present, always wanted to hang out with him. And then suddenly he has this phone and that's all he's staring at all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And his parents were actually like, 
what what can I do? I, there must be a solution. And we were like, well, what if there were a solution? What if there was a way to remotely, you know, lock him out of his, his phone and get him to sort of look up and be like, oh, yeah, it's dinner. And right. so that's, that's where the idea first came from. And that was our initial um, plan was to create this remote capability that could you, you, you have the, um, the ability to flip off another device. And then it just sort of spread into, well, why not just do it for yourself as well? And that has actually taken off quite a bit, um, more than what we were expecting, actually. And so who are the people who are shutting off their own phones? Like, my first thought is that it's students because you have you yeah. know, maybe around exams or studying or when you're in class and they want to make sure that they don't have the possibility of being distracted. Yeah, well, that's that's it. Right now, most of our users are students, and they are people that are both like under twenty five. And you would you would think that they're the ones who would be like, absolutely no way are you locking me out of my phone, but they know they have a bad habit, and they know that they should be focusing, and but they don't want to turn their phone off. And so here's a solution to that problem. And yeah, I mean, it, students are definitely. Um, one of our one of our target audiences right now, but obviously it it could be something that parents could use. For example, if you know their 16 year old teen is first learning to drive, and mom and dad knows that she's obsessed with Snapchat, well, <laughs> download Flipped on your devices, and then mom and dad can flip her off before she goes for a drive, so right. she knows <laughs> they know that she's safe. Actually, that's a pretty useful way uh, to use the app is to make sure that that distraction doesn't exist. Um, I'm talking to Alana Harvey, one of the co-founders of Flipped, which is a new app that lets you lock either your own phone or device for a couple of hours uh, and potentially allows you to lock the device of someone else. So it could be your kids or it could be your partner or your spouse. Um, I was on your website and I I read the story, um, I believe that you wrote, about the couple in a restaurant who spend hours... Barely enjoying their dinner together because they were just like sitting in, I guess, sitting in silence on their phones. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that was, I wrote that after sort of, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I'd seen it happen a number of times, but this one, I couldn't even get a word in to these, to these people. Before so describe they would... the describe the scenario to me. It was like a young couple or. Yeah. So it, yeah, they were, they were definitely under 25, um, and it was, it, I assumed they were a couple, and both of them were staring down at their phones the entire time. Um, I couldn't, they, they would barely even look up to order. Um, and they had their headphones in, and they were sharing, you know, funny links across the table, maybe. <laughs> and that, that's all that they were doing the entire time. And then we ended up having to ask them to politely leave because we were closed at the end of the night and wow. they were they had just sat there the entire time they didn't even finish their pitcher with beer like and i i just that just really got to me and i thought it really illustrated the whole problem here um and yeah and how i that's that's something that i've noticed mm-hmm. um in a public setting and so I, it makes me wonder like how pervasive it must be in these people's personal lives yeah. Now, tell me about your partners, because you're all uh, there's three of you that founded yeah. this app, and you're all quite young. Yeah. So actually, our developer is 20 years old. He goes to U of T, mm-hmm. and um, he it was it was great when we first proposed the idea to him. Um, the following week, he came back to us with a prototype, and wow. we were like, and it it was 
that the server could remotely flip off the other device. And we were like, okay, that's cool. So let's go with it. Um, so yeah, he's a student. And then my other co-founder, he, he, uh, him and I have known each other for years. We're friends. And um, he actually works in a restaurant as well. And so both of us agreed that this was a problem that we were both noticing and we wanted to come up with a solution. So you've both seen how distracted people are by their devices and we just forget to kind of interact in person sometimes. Um, well, thank you so much, Atlanta. Good luck with your app. Sounds like a great idea. Thank you. I appreciate the chat. <laughs> That's Alana Harvey, co-founder of Flipped App. If you want to find out more, it is Flip. So the word flip and then the letter D-A-P-P dot C-O. Uh, coming up next, a French nanny moves around the U.S. taking care of people's children and taking photos just as a hobby like many of us would. After she passes away, someone finds 100,000 negatives and unprocessed rolls of film in her old storage locker that show what she really captured during her life. And now a lot of those photos are actually um, being displayed and have been printed. And there is a way that you can actually see some of them, maybe even bid on one as well. And coming up uh, later on in the show, how do you feel about crowdfunding to pay for a kid's birthday party? Not because someone absolutely can't afford it, but for the most part, because someone can't afford a bigger, better party than the one that they have the funds for. So, good idea, do you think? Text me, 71010. Let me know your thoughts. Hey, this means everyone will have a good time, right? If you have a fabulous, extravagant party, it's a good time for all. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter, at Pei Chen as well. Chen Show continues on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm here until 9 p.m. And paychen.com is the website to find out more and also uh, to hear the podcast of the show. Last week was a good show. We had uh, comedian Amanda Brooke Perrin on. That was good times. To the whiskey tasting online. I mean, on the show which is now online. I'm really confusing my words tonight. Uh, there's a great opportunity coming up to see and bid on some wonderful photography at SNAP. It's an annual event that raises money for the AIDS Committee of Toronto. And you'll find work by some really wonderful artists being featured, um, including work by a woman named Vivian Mayer. And this is, she's someone that I read about, uh, I would say maybe a few months ago, and I just found it, I found her story so interesting. She's a woman that really most people didn't know she wasn't known throughout her lifetime as a photographer um, and people kind of came to recognize her work around the time that she died so I have uh, Sarah Bircher on the phone she's from the Stephen Bulger Gallery and uh, hi Sarah hi how are you I'm doing well and I'm really excited to talk about Vivian because I just know a little bit about her life and I find her story so interesting yes um, yeah she's a very interesting mysterious person um she was a nanny who worked for 40 years in a suburb of chicago mm -hmm. and she photographed like a roll a day um hardly ever looking at the negatives or even sharing her work um kind of like this obsessive kind of need to photograph the world around her so she took photos and then rarely developed them and this would have been in i believe it was it the 50s when she started taking photos yeah um well she photographed before that but primarily like the 50s 60s um mm. and into the 1990s so she had a lot of film yeah um there were uh, 
over 150,000 negatives. Wow. And she didn't have um, she didn't have any children of her own. She never married. Yeah. Um, so she basically spent her life as she you know was getting older, taking care of other people's children and then moving around and just taking everyday photos, which I think is a hobby that a lot of people have. They perhaps wouldn't shoot as much as she did. Mm-hmm. But um, now describe to me why people became so fascinated with her photographs. Well, I think people are really drawn to the photos. I mean, she had this amazing eye and created these beautiful portraits um, and cityscapes. She also did still lifes and um, self-portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also the story really intrigued people. and People really connect to the story. Um, just this mysterious woman that um, photographed her entire life, um, and not for anyone, um, just to photograph. It's a very rare thing that someone can create this body of work with so many amazing photographs without even looking at it or investigating more into their own work. And and um, I believe, just correct me if I'm wrong, that she, um, as she got older, she was quite proud. She never made a lot of money. She was a, yeah. a nanny for most of her life. Um, and that she had a lot of her belongings in storage lockers and that there was a, some of her items were auctioned off because she basically just didn't keep up keep up with the payments on the lockers so likely someone just kind of bought the lot and then discovered that there were all of these undeveloped rolls of film yeah so um in 2007 so vivian died in 2009 in 2007 she had five storage units um with all her negatives and other personal belongings she was a bit of a hoarder she collected newspapers and other things um that were all in these units um so they were it was abandoned she didn't pay for them so the contents became property of the storage unit company Mm mm-hmm who then sold it off at a, an, an auction. And then the Chicago auctioneer, Roger Gunderson, purchased the lot and then divided the contents and over several weeks sold them in separate lots. So a lot of, there were various buyers. Um, and it was Jeffrey Goldstein and John Maloof who individually came across the work on their own. Um, and when they discovered what it was, they tried to collect the pieces that were kind of scattered. Right. So John Maloof owns the majority of the collection, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey owns the next kind of largest selection. And then there are a couple other people that own very small selections. And But Jeffrey Goldstein's collection is actually belongs to Stephen now. Uh, Stephen in January purchased the collection from him. So does he have what, I guess, the, the bulk of Vivian's work? Um, no, he purchased it from Jeffrey, so okay. it's about 17,500 negatives. Oh, which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a lot to go through. <laughs> yeah. Um, but unfortunately, there's, um, John and Jeffrey hired a genealogist um, to find the heir of um, the estate. Mm-hmm. And they found a cousin once removed in France who they believed through all their research was the heir mm-hmm. um, and kind of got the copyright from them. Um, it was in September this past year that an attorney in Virginia who doesn't have a relation with Vivian but was really intrigued by the story uh, he he thought that there was someone else that should be the heir so he went to Cook County and now there's a copyright dispute oh okay so the images in Jeffrey Goldstein's collection are actually not available for sale at the moment and the only one that's available is in the snap auction (laughs) Really? So so none of her her other photos are owned by other people? Um, John Maloof uh, is still selling through Howard Greenberg in New York. Mm-hmm. 
and he's actually at the Oscars right now. He was nominated for his Finding Vivian Meyer documentary. Right. So the, that collection is still being sold as, from what I know, but I don't know for how long. So uh, basically very few of Vivian's photos perhaps are just owned by um, the public. There are many people who own one of her pieces of work. I know that she's been described as like a great street photographer. What does that mean really to people, I guess, who aren't familiar with that term? Um, Well, Vivian would often, like she lived in a suburb of Chicago and she would photograph the children in the neighborhoods that she was in. But she often took the train into the city and would walk around and photograph the people in the cityscape. Mm -hmm. So it's what we call street photography. She would just walk around and kind of document things that were happening around her. So instead of getting someone to pose or setting up a shot, it was just, yeah, um, just observing yeah, observing mm-hmm. things as, as they happen. Yeah, and she was able to get really like intimate portraits, um, which isn't an easy thing to do for a photographer. I hear she was quite adventurous as well. I mean, here she was. She was just a woman who, moved, who grew up, I guess, uh, mostly in France, moved to the U.S., was taking care of people's kids, and would kind of venture off to places that a lot of people wouldn't normally go. Yeah, she went to pretty... Um kind of sketchy areas in the city. Um, and I know she would um, bring the, the kids she was taking care of sometimes with her. And um, one of the families, when the parents found out, they told her she had to stop. <laughs> like, stop taking my kids to the terrible yeah. part of town? <laughs> yeah. But she was an adventurous soul, and I guess that's how you get really great photos sometimes and, and are able to get close to your subjects. Um, yeah. I thought it was really quite sweet because in her later years, she was quite poor and wasn't able to really take care of herself. And um, I believe it was some of the grown children that she had taken care of who put together their money in order to take care of her. Yeah, they did. Um, so you can see that they really cared for her. Um, and it's really great because um, in John Malouf's documentary and also there's a BBC documentary, they interview a lot of the adults now that, were ta- that Vivian took care of. So you can kind of get a, a glimpse of Vivian through their eyes. Right. And what did they say about her? Um, well, it's interesting because when I was speaking to Jeffrey, when we had our first show here and he made the book um, Out of Shadows, mm-hmm. he was saying that he was hoping that through making this book, and he went to France in the small town that her mother was from and spoke to a lot of the people there, and he was hoping that he would learn more about her, but she was just so mysterious to everyone that knew her mm-hmm. that you can get to these, get these little glimpses and also kind of collect stuff from her photographs, but right. no one really knows Vivian. So she remains a bit of a mystery. Yeah. Um, and I know that, uh, I believe, well, is it one photo or, or several of her photos that will be up for auction at Snap? There's one photo in the live auction at Snap. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Snap, of course, is a great event. So March 26th, and it's to benefit the AIDS Committee of Toronto, right? Yes. Okay. And it'll be at the Toronto Reference Library. Um, tickets are on sale on the Snap website, and that's snap-toronto.com. Great. So for anyone who is a lover of photography, um, that's something definitely to check out. Thanks so much for your time, Sarah. Thank you for having me. So that's uh, Sarah Bircher. She's from the Stephen Bulger Gallery and uh, it's a great, great event coming up in about a month now. And by then, March 26th, it will actually be spring because spring is March 20th. Vinny White has just walked into studio. We're going to catch up because it's been a while. I mean, Vinny's been away uh, that I'll be away and now he's back so we'll we'll chat in a bit we're going to talk about um this crazy story that i found on uh today's parent today's parents website i'm going to talk to emma waverman she is a writer and a mom of three about this growing trend and i'm telling you that it is a growing trend of people who are crowdfunding 
for their kids' birthday party so that they can have bigger and better parties than they can comfortably afford. So it's not a matter of someone who is um, who doesn't have money at all. It is, for the most part, people who could afford a modest party but want to have a bigger, better party. So this is actually trend. What do you think about that? Text me at 71010. Let me know your thoughts. Would you donate to someone who wanted to throw their kids a really memorable birthday bash? Listening to the Pay Chen Show on In Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Guess what, parents? If you can't throw your kids the best birthday party ever, you can do what a lot of other moms and dads are doing. You can sign up for a crowdfunding website and ask people to donate money so you can have the best party in the world. It is a growing trend. Parents are asking people to donate so they can pay for parties they can't afford on their own. It's a little bit ridiculous, uh, in my opinion, but I'd like to know what you think of this. Text 71010. Today's parent writer and mom of three, Emma Waverman, joins me right now to talk about the story she wrote. Hey, Emma. Hey, Pei. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I got a lot of reaction on this story on Twitter and on Facebook. Vinny White is here as well. Vinny, of course, has a show on uh, News Talk 1010 at 9, and I thought he might have some opinions, but hello, we'll see. Hello. So, um, Emma, let's start off with the fact that kids' birthday parties, for some, are kind of getting a bit out of control. I, I think that's true. I think birthday parties... Um, have become almost like a milestone you must celebrate to the utmost every single year. So instead of, you know, you used to have your Sweet 16, your Bar Mitzvah or whatever, you would have one big blowout in a child's life. It's now like, they're turning three, and so you must have this major party and so on and so forth until I think at some point the kids are sort of like, I think I just want to sleep over now. <laughs> I just want pizza with my friends. Yeah, exactly. Leave me alone with the seams and the Instagram and... The- you well, know, see, the perfectly quaffed everything. I well, Vinny and I don't have kids, and I can't recall going to a kid's birthday party in in recent years. Um, so I don't know what they're like now. I have an idea because I have many friends with children, so I do get to see the photos on you know on Facebook and and whatever of their kids' parties. But it looks mostly um, innocent enough, you know, some maybe some paint and craft activities, uh, cake, balloons. Yep nothing too crazy but i read the story that you wrote for today's parent about uh, i guess it was based out of the state so uh, one of those crowdfunding websites saw a 330 percent increase in the birthday party category that yeah, shocked they, me they saw over a million dollars being raised for in the birthday part just for birthday parties over okay do you know what a million dollars can do in terms <laughs> of charity or one night of a party Wow. So, but so now here's the thing is when I put this up on Facebook and Twitter, most people, I would 99.9% of people have the same reaction and they're all parents. They're like, this is ridiculous. You know, it's tacky. Why would you ever ask someone to donate to your child's birthday party fund? If you can't afford the big party, have a smaller party. That was sort of the general reaction yeah. Yeah. that I got from people. So it's really easy to poo poo it and be like, this is ridiculous. But what you're telling me is that. Uh, people have donated a million dollars. So there are people, people out there who have are doing it. done it, obviously. Um, I think there are sort of the outliers or, or the kind of pull-in-your-heartstring stories where people are of crowdfunding course. for parties for kids because 
something traumatic has happened in their life. And I think that's sort of different than what we're talking about here, which is just like, I really want to throw my little princess a bash that she deserves for her second birthday. Which is a little ridiculous. Yeah, and I think that's totally different. If it's someone who fell on hard times, um, who can't afford a gift for their child or or any small celebration, I think that's different. But the the majority of people who are crowdfunding for their kids' birthday parties uh, are able to afford a modest party. They just want a better party. That's what it seems like. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly the example that I used in the post was a woman was looking for a party, and she was asking for $600. That's a, that's a big party to for me. her se- for her daughter's second birthday. This is the thing that is an age when the kid does not remember their birthday. <laughs> It'd be different like, if they wow, were ten or thirteen dollars, um, and she did manage to raise two eighty, which I think there. you could still put on a pretty good party for almost three hundred dollars. Yeah, that's a little bit crazy. Well, um, it's interesting. I, I read your story and then I got really angry. <laughs> but you've got kids, right? So how, what do you do for your kids' parties? Well, I have kids and. Um, We've had all sorts of parties. I, you know, when you have to invite the entire class, you sort of say, I don't want 20 kids in my house who are like five running around. So then you end up renting one of those indoor playground places, and that can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. There's no question. I think that you can spend $500 on that. So uh, we have, you know, shared, we've done shared birthday parties. Uh, to offset that so we don't have to have these screaming children in our home. Um, and we do – now my kids are a little bit older, so we do a lot of sleepovers and pizza. And Right. So you, you can do it in a much more um, affordable fashion. Why, why would you even want $600? How many pizzas? For a two-year-old. For, but for well, a two-year-old. And, you know, the, the thing about that one was she said, I threw a great party for her first birthday, <laughs> and so I want to make sure I do a great one for her second. Yeah, because the, she'll remember the first birthday. Yeah. 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 The bar's been set. Well, here's a question for you. What's worse in your opinion? Is it the audacity of the mother for asking or the stupidity of the donors for don- donating? I actually think it's the sort of entitled mother or parent who's asking yeah yeah because i can see you know you feel guilty maybe it's the grandparents who are tossing in some money so i can see that but i feel like there's almost a tinge of arrogance or entitlement involved i'm gonna go on a crowdfunding site and raise money for my little prince or princess you know my special snowflake who Uh, needs so much yeah too um you know it's funny uh someone posted on my when i put the article up on Facebook, someone said, what's next? Mortgage payment crowdfunding? I'm like, yeah. Well, for sure. I'm sure that's on there, too. Well, I, I, I want a shoe fund. I like nice <laughs> shoes. I can't afford this pair. Please help me pay for them. It's getting a little ridiculous. Well, I, if you said, you know, I had really great shoes at my birthday last year and I want <laughs> another really great pair of shoes. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, that's true. Because it seems like people will give to anything. Yeah. If uh, on the events page on GoFundMe, it also says... Uh, crowdfund for birthday parties or baby showers or baby showers oh okay wow but you know I, I think part of the the thing too is and this is the comment i got from a couple of parents on my facebook post was that parents need to stop judging other parents so much and having that expectation of like oh you gave me a cheap loot bag or oh you didn't get the best cake you know so maybe you know there's a little blame to be right. shared there as well um, yeah and i think that is that um part of this whole trend of the birthday parties going over the top is about 
it's all about the parent and they somehow feel that the party is a reflection on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think that's really new. I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, my mother did not feel that my birthday party somehow reflected on her. No, it, I guess it's changed a little bit. Keeping up And with the so changes. that that's all part of this bigger issue, which is that judgment and perfection parenting and the competitiveness. Mm. Um, and I don't think social media caused that, but it certainly, certainly few can fuel it. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, thanks so much, Emma. Appreciate your time. No problem. Well, you have a great night. You too. Bye. That's Emma Waverman, who's a writer and a mom of three, who wrote that great post that I found on uh, today's parents' website. Vinny White is coming up next. Vinny is not feeling well. I'm okay now. I'm getting right? there. I'm a bit, I trip out every now and then. Hey, I'm going to ask you something. Would you ever go to mermaid school if you had the chance? Because it might come to Toronto. I saw this post. Wouldn't it be merman school? Well, it would be. That is the option. Mm. Um, Are you saying would I have a sex change before turning into an aquatic mammal? (laughs) Would that happen? Uh, There was a great, very brief little post on Blog TO, which said that there is a Montreal company that basically offers like mermaid swimming lessons, merman as well, Mm. and classes. And they are thinking, possibly, trying to open a place in Toronto. Do you have to provide your own tail? or do No, they... you can rent them. You Good. can rent the tails, probably until you, you like it enough that you would Got any, get your uh, own. Got any figures on that? Um, what do you mean? Well, I want to know how much it costs. Well, I did, but I think I deleted it. Uh, I think you can buy a pass. You can go, it's like a, a gym. You can buy a class, go mm. to a class, uh, or you can buy like a session of them. So if you want to do like advanced mermaid skills. There's classes for kids. There's classes for adults. Some are fitness related because you're using your abs a lot when you're in the water and you're trying to like keep your legs together. Right. Um, and then there's choreography classes for those who want to do more intricate things like a real mermaid would. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it says classes are conducted in natural bodies of water such as rivers and lakes mm. or in more controlled environments such as public swimming pools or even in the comfort and convenience of your home pool for private classes but what i find hilarious about that is imagine that you're just walking by a river or a lake and you see like five adults with fins on and they're doing like choreography would that not freak you out yes yes that would take hallucinations <laughs> to a whole new level the men's classes are called triton courses can you um, learn to sit on a rock with a blonde wig on and brush your hair? Probably. With a thingamajig called It's a Fork. Mm, it's like beautiful. a little... <laughs> oh. Thanks for listening tonight, everyone. Uh, Paychen.com. Vinny White is going to be covering for me for the next two Am weeks. I? Oh. I think you will be. I'll be away. Cheers for letting Try me know. Try not to get malaria. Oh, you're going to where? Namibia. How do you say it again? Namibia. Well done. Vinny White's coming up next. Have a great night, everyone. Stay warm.